What's up, Dub Nation? This is the We Believe Golden State Warriors basketball podcast, a sports ethos presentation. Sam Orlick here. With the All-Star break just wrapping up today, it's an interesting time to kind of take a step back, look at our team, what they've accomplished thus far in this chunk of the season, and what they need to do in order to get themselves in in a position to have a successful postseason. With me to do just that is special guest Corey LeBeau. Yeah, but uh, Sam, we were chatting all-star. Yeah, not as not as much fun as the regular season, definitely, and a bit of a cartoonish circus. But did you see Steph and Sabrina Ionescu do their three-point challenge? Of course, of course. That was really the only thing that I cared about, that watching pods go to work a little bit, or at least try to in the Rising <laughs> Stars challenge. <laughs> Easier yeah. said than done playing next to Wendy, I guess. So that'll be something interesting to uh to see as he uh as when b kind of evolves and grows as the spurs get better can he play around other players that was a little bit of criticism that i saw coming out of that that uh he didn't really know how to play around other guys he's just used to being the featured piece kind of makes sense for uh an incredibly talented 19 year old like when yama but um yeah let's talk yeah, totally. uh, let's talk stuff and sabrina well, it's just, I mean, so cool. What a dynamic, like, awesome thing for the league to do. So cool that Sabrina came out and just was balling out and hit, I think, as many as what Dane want, w- did with the winning when he won the three-point challenge. And then Steph actually goes and beats it. It was just very cool, exactly what you would have wanted. And... Just can't take stuff for granted that he's doing this stuff, that he's platforming other people, that he's using his reputation to put other folks on is so cool. And then thinking about the three-point contest, how that's kind of the best part of All-Star Weekend. And it used to be the slam dunk contest when we were kids, like when Jason Richardson was going out there and winning all those trophies. And now it's the three-point contest. And I think that's so specifically connected to Steph. It's just cool to see his impact on the game. Yeah, I, I thought it was a really cool collaboration between the NBA and the WNBA, first of all. And then also just funny that, you know, Steph and Sabrina, like you just hit on, they either tied or exceeded what any of the other three-point contest contestants uh, were able to, 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 to score. And that was Sabrina shooting at, you know, the men's, the NBA, mm-hmm. the NBA line with her ball. I um, thought it was a little bit too bad that Kenny kind of felt like Kenny kind of blew it at the end. Yeah. At the end there, it was a little surprising. You can kind of see he's been aged out a little bit. Um, I feel like he didn't necessarily mean what he said, but I also think he didn't really think about what he was saying. Uh, it's just pretty, yeah. it just felt pretty short sighted that he's like trying to um, somehow diminish or say that Sabrina should have done something different to make it more of a comparison when and I think just like what you said she scored 26 points that tied Dame who won the three-point contest on the men's side she didn't have to do anything different she did exactly what she wanted to do and go her 
Um, I'd love totally. to see more uh, more of that in the future. I know that there's a lot of ideas out there for uh, maybe like a duos kind of uh, square off, like like Caitlin Clark and, and Sabrina mm-hmm. against Steph and Clay and, and Chase. So feels like there's been so much hype on that already, and we're like a year away from that. But kind of feels like that that's probably gonna happen. Um, yeah. So I just love to see more of that crossover, and hopefully. Um, Hopefully, maybe this uh, WNBA team that the Warriors are going to put together that's still unnamed um, maybe kind of helps them build out their um, their popularity a little bit and and maybe gets the gets the the WNBA more on notice. So not trying to make this this pod all about the WNBA, but (laughs) kind of interesting. Um, Great to see the collab. I thought what Steph did was really brave. I mean, it's basically lose, lose for him goes out and beats mm-hmm. Sabrina. It's like, good job. You beat a girl or he loses. Yeah. And it's like, wow, you lost to a girl, but um, being able to just still participate for the fans to, to really make the all-star weekend um, and then have that come out. His, his post, his post event comments were pretty funny. There's like the toilet flushing in the background. <laughs> called it out. You can just see like what an, what an yeah. era he has. And like you just said, we grew up watching the dunk contest, but Steph has really changed the game so much that now everybody wants to see shooting. Um, people yeah. aren't really wowed as much by the uh, athleticism in the league because it's so prevalent. Absolutely. And also the fact that even if he, it is like what you were saying, the courage, it was a lose-lose, but he's still like, I'm the best shooter. I'm going to go defend my title or play along where like the athletes in for the dunk contest, the stars don't do that anymore. And we're not going to name names, Sam. I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus, but celebrities don't really, the, the stars of the NBA don't go into the dunk contest anymore. When back in the day we used to have like, you know, Vince Carter and Michael Jordan and Dominique Wilkins and all that stuff. So maybe Steph can kind of pave the way for other stars to be like, oh, okay, I don't want to be in a few point contest, but I can do the slam dunk contest and you know what good for Jalen Brown he was on there he's like a star he kind of didn't do that well but he was like I'm still gonna have a good time and play around so that's what we need that's what we need and I like the stuff seriously um, again I liked what Sabrina said before the event they asked her like oh so if you win does that mean you're gonna be the greatest you're the greatest shooter ever and she was kind of like no, hold on here. Like yeah. Steph's, Steph's, Steph's the greatest shooter ever, regardless. I'm just going to try and go out there and give him a run for his money. Like she didn't try and like turn this into something that it's like, yeah, if I beat him. Now I'm the best. It's like, nah, it's like, this is a contest. What, what Steph's done and accomplished has put him in another category, you know, not, not yeah. just diminishing what she's done in the WNBA, but just one event doesn't determine <laughs> greatest of all time shooting status um yeah and it also just shows like the tightrope that she has to walk i mean you already talked about kenny's comments on the broadcast like you say the wrong thing you put someone out the wrong way and you're gonna get such a bad backlash so kudos to her to be like to show up to do such a great job and then also be like i'm just trying to have fun i'm trying to show that we can do what these guys do it'll be fun to give steph a run for his money and steph for pulling that on and, and using his platform to showcase it. I just thought it was so cool. Easily going to be the highlight of the weekend. I know the all-star game has not happened yet today, but I doubt there will be anything better than that. 
Yeah, unless maybe Curry comes off the bench and hits 10 threes and, and yeah. <laughs> get, gets, gets some crazy all-star game record. That would be pretty um, cool. Real quick, speaking of Curry and three-pointers, before we start talking more about the Warriors, where they're at, where they're going, what they've been doing, um, mm-hmm. I actually didn't realize this, but Curry is on pace to beat his record of 402 threes made in a season back in 2016 at this point in the all-star uh at the all-star break he had uh 245 made threes um right wow. now he's sitting at 252 <laughs> holy holy cow that's crazy i actually didn't realize that either it's and i don't so- have the exact games breakdown um but i think it's got to be pretty close, if not like one less, because we had those two games rescheduled. I know we we made up one of the games um, against Utah. That was one of the makeups. The second game of the back-to-back coming into the All-Star break. And the next one is in April. So you might actually have be ahead with like a one less game than 2016. That is pretty remarkable. And he has been on such a tear. And usually he continues going on the tear after the all-star break that's like historically when he really starts heating up so yeah there's a chance that's outstanding honestly like i that feels like one of those records that well i guess it would be broken but it's so much higher than anyone else that of course only steph would break it again if he had to but he's been lighting it up desperately needed too. desperately needed because he went through a lull for a little bit so the fact that he's still on pace to do this going through that slump kind of in the earlier part of the season remarkable right yep so let's talk about the warriors 27 (laughs) and 26 10th in the west um doing a lot better than when we last Mm -hmm. talked uh eight and two over their last 10 games which is the best record in the west over their last 10 um if you include the east the um, the Cavs are nine and one and the Celtics are eight and two also. So Warriors, one of the hottest teams in the league coming into the all-star break could have been hotter mm-hmm. had they beat the Clippers that, that unfortunate fourth quarter collapse. We'll talk about that some more. Um, doing pretty good. Well, obviously doing really good since Draymond Green has come back. The, the trio lineup of Green, Kaminga and Wiggins has kind of turned around the defense. Um, mm-hmm. Warriors now, um, in that stretch of 10 games, are fourth in net rating, fourth in offensive rating, and sixth in defensive rating. These are the numbers we typically expect from Steve Kerr's Warriors, right? Top 10 defense, mm-hmm. top 10 offense. And it shows, right? They're, they're, they've consistently in this streak of 10 games looked like the better team against most of their opposition. Um, the challenge has been unfortunately sustaining that for 48 minutes um, in, a, in a few close losses. And this doesn't even, this stretch of 10 doesn't include those back-to-back losses to um, mm-hmm. the, King, the Kings and Lakers. So how are you feeling about the Warriors right now? It's a little bittersweet doing good but could have been better but still a lot of games left to play this season yeah definitely definitely I mean they're doing so much better than they were and I think 
it's hard to overstate just how low the Warriors had fallen earlier this year when they're getting booed at home, getting blown out by not good teams. Like that's something we've never seen before in the Kerr era. Even in the twenty nine like in the twenty twenty year with Steph being injured, it's just it was a different level of giving up, of not being held together. And to their credit, they have turned that around. They're playing with so much heart. They're playing with a lot more grit. Things look better. And there's something so beautiful about when the Warriors are playing on all cylinders and everyone's moving and making the extra pass and the role players are hitting threes and their defense is turning into offense. It's the most beautiful thing in the NBA. And it goes to show, oh, this is why we're frustrated when it's not working because it's so beautiful when it does work. And they have been doing that. And that road trip was awesome. And I was like, oh, they have turned this thing all around. And then the Clippers game happened. And it was like a nice big glass of cold water right on the face where it was like, oh, they still looked really good. They looked the same. And then in the fourth quarter, they fell apart, just like they had been doing on the earlier part of the season too. So, I mean, anything can happen. I think there's definitely a proof of concept here. Like this last run to the all-star to the all-star break kind of felt like in 2021 when they finally figured out the rotation and they made it all the way into the playoff play-in game after Steph came back from injury, when they like rerouted the rotations, people were injured and they just kind of figured out the Warriors magic again. I think they've got the magic back, but I'm still concerned and confused how they're blowing these games in the fourth quarter. And why, what, like what's happening there? Because I thought they had figured that part out with this new winning streak. And then the Clippers game, it was the same thing as before, giving up shot after shot, turning it over, not being able to figure out what to do and losing in heartbreaking fashion. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at there. That, that 2021, optimistic. that 2021 season, that was the Kelly Oubre season, right? Where Curry basically yeah. had like those, that stretch of like 10 or 15 games where he was putting up like 35 to 45 every night. And he was just, it, it, we needed his pyrotechnics just to like stay in games. Yeah, um, exactly. And then they finally kind of got this identity when they benched Kelly Oubre. I think he was injured. Some other players went out of the rotation. They played Jordan Poole and Juan Toscano Anderson. And like they found that Warriors magic rather than Steph just being superhuman every night, although he still was. Yeah. And and I think what makes it more frustrating that Clippers loss and, and just and just the kind of collapse um that that ot lost to atlanta um it hasn't been mm-hmm. the normal warriors self-sabotaging of turnovers and fouling um that clippers mm-hmm. game that clippers game they had they had like i want to say they had less than 10 turnovers um, yeah i'm gonna just double check that because i'm pretty sure yeah they had nine they finished that game yeah. with nine turnovers. The Clippers had 12. So, you know, it, it becomes a broken record when it's like, oh, the Warriors, 20 turnovers, you're not going to win games. And it just becomes easy to be like, yeah, this is something they haven't fixed or continue to not fix. But the turnovers have been so much better. The fouling has been better as well. That Clippers game was just so weird because 
it was defense, right? You give up 44 mm-hmm. points, and it was the way in which you gave up those points. Norman Powell's the best three-point shooter percentage-wise, and he's even better in the corners, and he hit like four or five in the corner. Yeah, um, and back I get to that back they're, to back. Yeah, and I get that their their game plan, they kept saying this, is like, make somebody else other than uh, Paul George and James Harden beat us. Well, you did. <laughs> you gave yeah. you gave them like the next best thing. Um, so that was just kind of a head scratcher. And that was with, and there was no Clay Thompson on the floor during that stretch. Let, let's be mm-hmm. real. Like, sure, Clay did have that late game miscue, but you had Steph, Kaminga, Wiggins, Draymond, Pods. Like you had your main guys on the floor in that closing stretch of the fourth quarter where you just could not get a stop period. And, and um, what's interesting is the game before that they were almost in a similar situation with Utah, um, you know, double digit lead heading into the fourth quarter, but then Curry comes in and just puts them away. And they did kind of the Mm -hmm. opposite where it looked like Utah was maybe going to come back. And instead a couple stops, a couple threes, 10 points turns into 20 and you just kind of cruise to victory. Um, and in this case, it's like double digit lead turnover, turnover, don't get stops. They get back into it. Momentum swings. Now you're playing from behind desperation time. Nobody can hit a shot. Yeah. Um, and, and it just, it, it just was a heartbreak. It's happened so many times. Um, and and totally. even sev- several times against the Clippers, no Kawhi, uh, no Kawhi Leonard, Paul George fouls out. Mm-hmm. Um, you had Mason Plumley go um, full WWE style <laughs> against yeah. against Pods. Ty Lu gets ejected. Just so much going on in that game, um, and and just really unfortunate that they couldn't that they couldn't close one close that one out. Yeah, and you know, man, they're like these are the games they can't afford to lose, considering how many they've let slip through their fingers already. And it's against a rival. It's for morale. They've already won the game. You know, they're like up double digits with like five minutes to go. Their best players on the Clippers have fouled out because the Warriors have like outmatched them emotionally and they just fall apart. And I don't know what it is. I don't know whether it's the focus. You're right. It's not the cartoonish like Harlem Globetrotters like turnovers (laughs) that get the other team back in but it's a complete lack of defensive intensity and identity. And to just give up open shot after open shot after open shot while missing everything is like, what, what is going on here? Especially when you're trying to preserve a lead, wouldn't you rather give up two than three when you're trying to preserve the lead and run out the clock? It is interesting. And this these fourth quarter problems have plagued them all season and it is really concerning that they're so much better on defense right like since draymond's been back the draymond kaminga wiggins lineup wiggins is playing with a bit more verve kaminga like fits in with everything they're balancing the lineup gp2's back like they're such a better defensive team and the fact that they can still have such toilet paper defense in the fourth quarter in crunch time is concerning. And I'm like wondering what's going on there because it's so unlike them historically, but it's been a running theme all, all season. And even in this win streak, going back to Phoenix, which I think was the most impressive win of this like last little run, that was an incredible game. 
playoff intensity. They pulled it out. They went they went blow for blow against this great, really hot playoff level team with all the history against Phoenix as well with Kevin Durant and Nurkic and Devin Booker and all of that. And they ended up winning, but still in the fourth quarter, they were up like six points with a few possessions to go and just Devin Booker got whatever he wanted. And on the one hand, that's Devin Booker, right? He's one of the great shot makers in the NBA that happens. But at the same time, you can't just let him get to wherever you want. So it's, it's interesting to see that they can never seem to dictate the terms in these fourth quarters. And when they win, it almost always feels like they're holding on <laughs> for dear life rather than going out and taking it in the yeah. close games, not in the ones that they put away. And there's been very few games that they've put away. A lot of these have been close. Yeah, seriously. But it's a, yeah. it's a very astute observation. Um, and just going back to that to that Clippers game a little bit real quick, one more thing, point I wanted to add. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even just the players on the floor. It was the coaching staff as well. Steve Kerr even said after the game, we did a bad job adjusting and, and could have done more. Um, yeah. on the court into how we were defending their sets it's like dude really this is like the fourth time you're playing the clippers <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just it's just baffling and and i'm i'm a steve kerr supporter I'm, I'm definitely not in the camp of fire steve kerr um but it's just so perplexing that it's like how many times have we done this we've been here before and and yet you continue to just yield four or five open corner threes, maybe one or two, you call timeout, you figure out, Mm -hmm. okay, we're going to defend this differently. Give them a layup or something. I don't know, force them into something else, but it just felt like they was just rinse and repeat of making the same mistake. um, And, or just the Clippers outplayed us simply James Harden had the ball in his hands and outplayed us he read our defense diced us up got whatever he wanted found the open man and they hit shots um meanwhile um offensively for the warriors and this was also true against the suns it feels like when the game gets down to crunch time five minutes or less the warriors tense up it's give the Mm -hmm. ball to curry and pray that curry makes a shot or give the ball to clay and, and pray that clay hits a three and we live or die by the outside shooting. There, there doesn't yeah. doesn't feel like we we completely go away from uh, Wiggins and Kaminga attacking the basket, trying to draw fouls, anything in the paint. Uh, Draymond Green hasn't hit a three yet um, in the second half <laughs> this season. Even though he's shooting like fifty percent from three in the first quarter, he's yet to make one in the second half. Um, this That's a crazy season. stat. That's maybe um, my favorite stat of the whole season. <laughs> That's insane. But, um, and this is kind of a little bit of a segue. I feel like for the Warriors, getting kind of to your point of, you know, this is concerning. What are they going to do? They need to keep Steph more fresh. They need to not just rely mm-hmm. on Curry to score 20 points in the fourth quarter in these close games. And and the Warriors have one of the easiest schedules remaining um, in the regular season, but forget that when, when we're in the playoffs or in the play-in, it's going to be the same thing. You're going to be playing the Lakers, the Pelicans, the Kings, the Mavs, like the West is, is full of good teams. There's not going to be any easy outs. Um, and you need other guys to step up. And I really feel like Jonathan Kamingo was that, um, 
and and it just has been absolutely outstanding in the last 20 games or so but lately over the last few games i've noticed an interesting trend and he's getting fewer shot attempts um and i don't know if that's necessarily a good thing so Mm -hmm. um in those last 10 games his shot attempts were uh 19 against philly which was a win 15 against memphis which was a win 12 against atlanta which was a loss 18 against brooklyn in a win 14 against philly in a win uh, 16 against Indiana in a win, 18 against Phoenix, but then 10 against Utah, 13 against Clippers, and then six in the last game against Utah. Um, yeah. Double double figure scoring in that whole time. He only scored 20 points once in the last 10 games, uh, or only scored 20 points once in the last six games, but 18 twice. Um, mm-hmm. I just feel like they need more easier buckets. And I'd love to see Jonathan Kaminga get more post-ups, like just let him work, run more plays for him and um, kind of not rely so much on, on Curry to score 30 plus every night. Totally. Totally. Like get him more touches, let him take more of the responsibilities and also have him rack up the fouls and slow the game down, which for this old team is very helpful to like get those moments in between the fast pace up and down. Um. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Sam, do you think it's because there's two things? Do you think that they're going away from him and just trying to do other things, or do you think because he's had such a breakout stretch here that teams are preparing for him a little bit more, and thus that's he's a- starting to face like a oh, I'm now the number two option on this team, and that's what the defense is giving me, and there's kind of a learning curve here. Yeah, that's a really good question. And one part of it is, and we haven't even really talked about this yet, is Clay Thompson coming off the bench, which I'll be interested mm-hmm. to see how what this looks like post All-Star break. But when you have pods in there starting instead of Clay, it changes the floor spacing a little bit, um, simply because, you know, pods hit five threes the other night, but he's not the threat from outside that Clay Thompson is, right? Where teams are just going to automatically sell out to him the same way with Clay Thompson. Yeah. So I think that it changes the spacing a little bit. The other thing is there's also growth from Kaminga's game that he's looking to distribute. There, there are times where he's attacking and kicking it out, which is a good thing. I don't mind that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, you know, maybe the two games against Utah, you know, Walker Kessler is just a beast of a human being who simply just looked like he had everyone's number at the rim um, defensively. And, and so it could have just been, you know, a small sample size of like an elite rim protector and not really being able to do much against that. So some things to look at there, but I do feel like... Um, Kaminka is a matchup nightmare for anybody. I don't really feel like it's like, oh, he only can go right. So if you defend him, mm-hmm. you know, if you defend him like this, he, he's he got counter moves. It, it feels like at, at a minimum, he can get into the paint and fade away for a jumper uh, or pump fake and, and get some action. So I don't quite feel like it's teams have got him on the scouting report quite yet. It, it just feels like the Warriors are, it feels like Kaminga came on and now Pods has come on and, and they're kind of experimenting yeah. with like, who's the hot hand and what's our offensive identity. Um, and, and they're kind of figuring out what that looks like when they get in, when they get defensive stops, it's a no brainer, get into transition, throw it ahead. Coming as a bucket in the half court yeah. though, it feels like they've gotten away a little bit from 
let Wig Wiggins and Kaminga cook inside. Yeah, totally, totally. And that is, I mean, I think one of the reasons Wiggins isn't nearly as consistent as he used to be, like the last couple of seasons on that those post-ups on getting the advantages. But you're right, it's that half-court offense is not clicking as much as it should be. Part of the reason that they have been doing so well lately is that their defense is finally stabilized enough where they can go out and transition, where they are so lethal, where they are so smart and can play well in that way. So it'll be something. And, you know, now they've got a, the all-star break to really assess on what's worked well, what happened with that Clippers game. Like, why do they keep blowing leads? I feel like the Clippers game was a turning point in a gigantic way because Clay came off the bench the next game. And even though he was, you're so right, he was not the reason that they lost, but that last foul when they put him in and the reaction to everybody, it seemed to be like a final, not nail in the coffin, that's very intense, but like the final realization is like, oh, this guy is maybe not one of our core dudes who's going to close and win us games. Like if he's hot, he's hot. If he's not, he's not, but he's not the veteran who we need on the court right now, which he has, I mean, maybe he can get there again. So far he hasn't been, but if this team is just kind of needs to have embarrassing loss after embarrassing loss to get to what their new identity is so they can make a run at it, then we've seen teams go from the play-in all the way to the finals. We saw it last year. So all they have to do is stay around and keep learning and keep getting better and having these young guys grow. But it'll be interesting to see how that post-All-Star break, what the lessons they've learned are and what they do with it. Clay Thompson's an enigma, man. I, I just don't understand him. Like, again, it's certainly not his fault for that for that loss. But I, I mean, I was I was reading things that coming into that coming into that possession, Steve Kerr was telling the team don't foul. Yeah. <laughs> and Clay Thompson just comes out there and wraps up Westbrook. Now it wasn't like like you still had to come up with a stop and score again and likely get oh, yeah. another stop. Right. So it wasn't like that was the game that there, but um, Clay Thompson, you know, four rings, the classic meme, um, mm -hmm. you know, he, he, you know, to his rebuttal to anything anyone says about him. And yet here you have this quintessential, you know, late game execution moment and you just, and you just totally botch it and you're just not there mentally. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I guess, because what Clay does is mostly off ball um, and, and just kind of defend, you know, playing hard nosed defense. He's not really, never really proven to be this like incredible high IQ guy. Obviously he's smart. Obviously he's, he's really good at what he does. Um, and, and one of the best, uh, you know, two way mm -hmm. players pre injury, but that's just so head scratching for me that a guy who's, you know, quote unquote veteran been there before played in so many games so many high stakes situations um and just not being mindful of of the situation and then meanwhile you've got 20 year old airpods out there mm -hmm. throwing a dime to curry in the biggest moment against the suns um defending defending against utah in the closing moments at a game that we probably should have lost because they had what like one two three looks at open threes um, yeah. But I actually thought it was smart that he opted to not foul Sexton because it, it seemed like, you know, he, he was likely going to foul him in the act of shooting. Just seems like mm -hmm. he's so much more cerebral 
without the experience. Um, I don't know. I don't know really how to explain it. Obviously, you need both. You need for this team to go anywhere. You need Clay Thompson to be uh, to be a force, to be a weapon because of what he's done, the gravity that he has on the floor, the way that he can take over a game with his shooting. You just maybe don't need him to do that 35 minutes a game, uh, maybe 25, yeah. maybe 28. Maybe maybe some nights it makes sense that he closes and others it doesn't. Um, so I think I think you're spot on. It's it's unfortunate that it took so many embarrassing losses and and the stats on the season are just putrid when you look at Clay Thompson's uh, plus minus on the season. He's uh, third worst on the team in minus 48, um, only doing better than Looney at minus 62 and Wiggins at Oof. minus 107. Um, that is, hold on, we need to pause. That is crazy that those three are the worst <laughs> plus minuses on the team. We're like two years from a title where Kerr was like, this is our core six people, championship core. I mean, no wonder we're struggling. Like, what are you supposed to do with that? And this is a four, 48, 48 games played for Wiggins, 53 for Looney and 50 for Thompson. So you can't even, you can't even, you know, point to a small sample size. Meanwhile, pods at 47 games leads the team at plus 168. That's double, Chris, that's double Chris Paul at plus 85. Uh, Kaminga's next at plus 78. Draymond's next at plus 73. Um, so and and you know plus minus in and of itself is a little bit of a fickle stat but like you just said though it is absolutely concerning that three of the core guys because 100 looney is a part of this core um he was a pivotal piece in their last championship um that they won and you got those three guys at the bottom meanwhile you've got rookies trace jackson davis and pods in the top five um, even guys like Lester Quinones is at least uh, plus 33. Moses Moody, who's out of the rotation, plus 25. G Santos, who's only played 12 games, is plus 15. Um, mm-hmm. It's just so interesting to see that and the struggles that they've had kind of trying to build or construct um, lineups and units on the floor that can stay effective with or without Steph Curry. Yeah, I mean, you can absolutely see the just confounding nature of your championship vets letting you down, these unproven young guys playing well. And we've gotten on Kerr's case. There's a big section who's mad at him, but he has, it is a really difficult job to balance those two worlds, the two timelines, as it were, or just like young guys and old guys. And I, you know, I think he'd probably admit going into this that he has not done a good job with it. And it's taken this long for him to realize who he needs to play, who's doing well, who he wants to put into the right spots, whether it was hoping that, whether it was not trusting the young guys or whether it's hoping that the old guys come through. But I think they're starting to get a little bit more of an equilibrium here on terms of who plays well together who he can trust to play. And the fact that it's like, look, we're too late in the season to think that Looney's going to turn it around right now. And if he's got it, he's got it for a little bit. And in matchups, he's got it, but he's not the stalwart he once was. The one thing I wanted to say before about play, because it has been so tough to watch. And as Warriors fans, it's like, obviously, 
I mean, you can kind of choose who your favorite of the big three is, but Clay, I think people feel the most emotional towards because of the injury, because of his attitude, because of his vibes. I mean, he's just such a pure person. It has been so hard to watch him not do well this year. And I think it's not because he's not shooting well, because that happens. I mean, we watched Steph go through slumps too. Like, and he, Clay's gone through slumps as well, like where he doesn't shoot that well. It goes back to what you were saying before. He's not playing smart this season. It's not that he's not shooting the ball well. It's that he's taking more shots than he should be and taking shots in bad moments, regardless of timing. It's the defense, not just that he can't stay in front of guys, but he's fouling at the wrong times and losing his men in like rotation and stuff. It's the lack of smartness, which has been so frustrating. I don't mind Clay missing shots because he's going to make shots too. It is the hijacking the offense for the shots in a way that was almost similar to Jordan Poole of last year, where we talked about his exponential factor. Like when he was great, the Warriors became even greater. And then when he was bad, the Warriors got really bad because the mistakes were so large. It kind of feels that way with Clay. Like when he's great, like, oh my gosh, the Warriors look unbeatable. But when he's bad, it's not just that he's missing shots. It's the shots he's taking away from other people or the shots he was taking away from other people. And, and his, now it's like his, uh, his mm-hmm. missed shots are usually shot turnovers too. So Clay, Clay misses totally. a three. The other team makes a three or gets a exactly. Dunk. And it's, yeah, it's a five point swing. Totally, which is just we got rid of Jordan Poole for exactly that reason, and now Clay's doing it. It's and you know part of that is I think that Clay's going to come out the other side of this and be a great rotation player. And he's going to like figure out his role. He's going to, he's already talked about how Reggie Miller and Ray Allen and the other great shooters adapted. And he's going through a really rough adaptation that I do think he'll come out on the other side of and be a quality player for what he is. But it's not just on him to figure that out. It's also on the Warriors and Kurt to make like to help him with that too. And he shouldn't be playing the amount of minutes that he had been playing the beginning of the season, regardless of the skill and talent and how good he is, just how old he is and the injuries he's been through. So if getting him on the bench is the way to finally like, okay, here is your role and how many minutes you're playing and how you can excel and be awesome within that, that's going to be such a big win for the team if that sticks. Yeah, and I do think that's directionally where they want to go. Steve Kerr talked about um, they'd like to reduce Clay's workload. They'd like to look at maybe resting him on some on some back-to-backs. Uh, clearly, kind of the um, the mileage on him this season is mm-hmm. a lot more than they'd like. I also think getting Chris Paul back will help Clay Thompson, especially coming off the bench, just find somebody else to help set him up for easier looks. Yeah, and, for um, sure. But it's that it's that discipline, right? It's it's not taking the shot that you know you can take just because it's taking the right shot. It's it's going from a good shot to a great shot, curling and and taking the the mid range two or getting all the way to the rim or finding your teammate on a dish on a dish off pass. It's it's yeah. not just catch and shoot three guys draped all over me, but I can still throw up a prayer, so might as well. Um, mm-hmm. And that's hard, man, because he had sky high confidence and rightly so. And and obviously, even after injury, coming off injury and, and last season, still felt like he was 
the clay of old. He said he still felt like he could, you know, make any shot that he takes clearly, <laughs> clearly yeah. from, from some of the shots we <laughs> saw him take, but he needs, you know, I think he's in the process of realizing this is more than him. Um, if he wants to stay a part of this team, which he said he does, he needs to accept a role that helps this team win. I mean, that is what has been the definition of sustained warrior success. Andre Iguodala coming off the bench, right? Really set the stage. Even Steph yeah. Curry um, in, in the 22 championship that they won. Curry returns from injury coming off the bench against Denver. Um, so totally. buy-in, seems like he is. And um, I don't know, what do you think about all the rumors about the Lakers and Miami and the Clippers maybe having interest in him in the offseason. Yeah, I mean, I think they probably do, but I think he's going to stay with the Warriors. I mean, he's already talked about how much he loves being here. That great profile on the of the Warriors core four in the ringer happened last week, and Clay had some pretty shocking things of like, I can take a reduced role if it means like being with these guys. We're brothers. We love it. Uh, I think one of the reasons Clay's gotten off to such a lousy start compared to last year, where he actually had maybe a career year last year, so which is so wild to think about the discrepancies between the two. But the contract hanging over his head and him playing awful in a contract year and then continuing to play more awful, knowing what he turned down with the extension, like that must be completely in his head. And we'll see if one of the other teams wants to give him a big contract, I guess. I couldn't blame him for wanting to go because I don't think the Warriors are giving him that much after what's happened this year. But I don't I don't think he'll take it. I think he'd rather be with these guys. Yeah, I agree now, with that. We want to talk about Lakers rumors. I know we might there might be another big Laker coming to the Warriors next year. We'll see oh, how yeah. I feel about that. LeBron James. Um <laughs> I, I think before before we get into that, um I think Clay's struggles this year are, I mean, could be tied to the contract, but also I think it's it's the loss of Jordan Poole. It's the loss mm. of another dynamic um, threat on the floor that has the ball in his hands that takes attention away from the defense. I think Clay was yeah. getting a lot cleaner looks last season. Um, and this season you know, unless he's playing next to Curry and sometimes even when he is playing next to Curry because nobody else has really been a consistent threat from three, he's still locked up. And so he's taking such difficult shots. And last year he was getting a lot more easier looks. And and yeah. you know, even though you've got pods busting onto the scenes, he's not quite the athletic speedy guard that Jordan Poole was that's, you know, a walking highlight reel who's either going to dribble it off his foot or, or make yeah. the most the most incredible play. Um, and, and I think Clay Thompson was on the short end of not having that additional offensive threat on the floor. Um, totally. I mean, we see what happens even with great shooting. Like the Warriors don't play the classic James Harden, Luka Doncic, LeBron James pick and roll style, right? So if you've got only Steph as the only person who can make his own shot, and even if you have great shooters all around, like they're, it's, you can't get a shot off. So having another creator to free things up, to let Clay actually get some open looks, 
Yeah, I mean, it's a confluence of things, right? Like there have been times this season where Clay was playing the most minutes out of anybody on the team, mm-hmm. which it seems crazy to look back now and think about. The guy's probably really tired. <laughs> so that combined with the team, combined with the contract, combined with already what's been happening with, you know, just like the emotions of the team, it's, uh, it's been a lot to get through. And they're figuring it out. But, you know, you got you to gotta be encouraged by Clay's response off the bench in that Utah game. And, you know, that seems to be something that every Warriors player needs to go through at some point is the coming off the bench. And usually it goes really well. So if this is Clay's next move, I doubt it'll be permanent. But if he kind of figures out how he can be effective in a smaller role and maybe keep that throughout the rest... That'd be awesome, too. Yeah. Now, with those LeBron James rumors, I mean, I think I think first and foremost, it depends where the Warriors finish, how they how where and how they finish the season and in the playoffs. Um, I think that this front office is eager to go in a lot of different directions, but mostly get under the um, the second apron of the luxury Mm -hmm. tax and so if you shed chris paul's 30 million if you sign clay to a more affordable contract than like the 40 plus he's he's already being paid i mean that's 40 million off the books um depending on what version of wiggins shows up to the playoffs i mean if you get if you get like even maybe 80 percent of the wiggins that was there in the 22 ring year and maybe you don't win a ring but maybe you make it to the western conference finals and you've got you know clay embracing that that's that kind of tertiary role that we're talking about um and all the young players step up and maybe maybe looney finally plays like himself (laughs) in the playoffs because he's not getting called for all these for all these fouls or he's he's actually committing the playoff fouls that you need him to commit that he shouldn't be committing in the regular season um Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe the, you know, Mike Dunleavy Jr. is like, ah, you know, wait a minute. I don't think we really need to do that much um, except, you know, maybe shore up some, some free, some depth and free agency. Um, but yeah, I think if you're, if the Warriors, you know, maybe don't make it out of the play-in, maybe you win the first, the first and lose the second or lose them both or, or lose the first one, depending on where they finish in the standings. Um and you and you still plan to shed Chris Paul, and whether you even decide to sign or resign Clay Thompson, maybe they make a splash with a package of Wiggins and Kaminga for a LeBron James or a Paul George. Um, not that I would be in support of that. I'd love to see this roster or some some version of this roster continue to go for as long as uh, Curry's got the le- Curry and Draymond have got the uh, have got the motor for it. Um, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't blame them for looking and exploring at options. And, um, certainly they certainly have the pieces that, that could make a deal like that work if they were willing to include, um, you know, Wiggins plus other pieces for LeBron James. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's very clear that this team, the new Dunleavy era, like we saw it last offseason, they're not afraid to make big splashes. I think it was pretty not, – I'm not surprised they didn't get 
anything at the trade deadline too, but I do know they were looking around to do some stuff more so than they usually do. And Joe Lacob came on and said, there was some article in the athletic or an interview where he was talking about, look, the off the mid season trade deadline is for kind of papering over mistakes and trying to plug holes and the off seasons for like the really big changes. And he said, they've got some things up their sleeve. I wouldn't be surprised. They like glamour. This team likes glamour. They likes a splash. They like a splash. I would not be surprised if they're trying to go get LeBron, Kevin Durant, Paul George, Giannis, whoever they need to. And yeah, I think the playoffs will show what they, what the need level is and how untouchable Kaminga is really, you know, cause he's been great and we'll see in the playoffs if it's like, Oh, great enough to not get another star to actually get a title right next year because he's going to be good enough to carry this team for a while. Or it's like, Oh yeah, he's great, but let's get Steph another ring now. If yeah. we can. And it'll and be Lakeup, interest, interesting to see. Lakeup doesn't want to be a middle of a pack team. So Absolutely. He's, not, he's not gonna be content with eh, let's let's let the core slowly age out. Let's overpay Clay a little bit to stick around, but give him a little bit of a pay cut. And let's yeah. let AirPods and Kaminga take over and we'll just kind of be a borderline playoff play-in tournament team for the next five years until these guys, you know, mature a little bit and, and Trace Jackson Davis comes into his own, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's totally. like boomer, it's boomer bust. We're, we're vying for championships or we're hitting the reset button because we need to reload and that's going to take a few years. Yeah, definitely. I'm, and he knows what he has with Steph Curry. Like if not with, in terms of basketball quality, because they haven't gone all in necessarily, but in terms of money and impact and cultural resonance, like this is a window you cannot take for granted as a multi-conglomerate entertainment company that is the Golden State <laughs> Warriors. Like you can't sacrifice Steph and being in the league. Like the, we are going to miss him so much when he's gone, not just for all the incredible basketball reasons, but for like the impact that he gives and what what he does to the game and the electricity he charges and chase center and all of that. So there, if this is a dismal end, if they lose in the play in game or if they don't even make the play in game, they're absolutely making some changes. And you, and, just, you just made yeah. a really sneaky point that I didn't even have um, noted down, but something that was struck me a couple weeks ago was undervaluing Steph Curry and his potential and impact. Um, Bob Myers has said some interesting things lately um, in the stadium oh that have just really, I don't know, you have to kind of read between the lines, but it it certainly at least has struck me like they really felt like it was Kevin Durant's team when he was on the Warriors. And when Durant left, they kind of felt like it was all done. Um, and when you, if you take that mindset and then you go back to the, the Wiseman draft, um, the selection of Kaminga over Fran Franz Wagner. And by the way, I mean, I love Kaminga and, and what he's grown into year three. And I think he's got absolute star studded potential written all over him. But you look at what Pods is doing as a rookie, as a mm -hmm. do a little bit of everything, high IQ guy. And you think, man, three years ago, if we had picked, Wagner, who who has a similar skill set at that 
at that um, totally. wing position, what would that have done for this team? And it's like, these decisions seem like there had to be something else going on behind the scenes. And then you hear Bob Myers say things like Kevin Durant was the best player in the floor again in a series with, with Steph Curry and, and LeBron James. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. Uh, the draft, that's such a good point, actually, that it was the Myers kind of administration that was like, oh, we need to plan for the future here. And mm-hmm. Dunleavy was like, oh, no, we need to maximize this crew right now and what happened. Franz Wagner, yeah, you're right. I mean, Kaminga's blown up. Like, he's a good player, and he has a chance to be, like, a great player. But he absolutely is a work in progress. It is, and this is year three, time. right? This is this is two playoffs yeah. that he basically was unplayable. We'll see about this year. Meanwhile, Pods in his first year, it's like, I mean, we'll see, we'll see in in this postseason. But he looks like he's ready to go. He looks he looks like he's he's got Steve Kerr's disciple written all over his face. Yeah, we'll we'll see, we'll see. And then the playoffs come around, and he'll bench him for Moses Moody. We have no idea what he's going to do <laughs> in the playoffs. The man is inscrutable. But with Wagner, like, wouldn't he be the perfect like Otto Porter type of big man next to Draymond Green? Like, can pass, can shoot, can kind of defend. Like, it's it really is wild to think about. I do think let's give Kaminga a little bit of grace. Like it wouldn't seem this nuts if we didn't have the Wiseman draft right before and just back to back of the athletic marvels over the cerebral pass first guys that they could have picked. That's tough. And and by the way, I think, I think mm -hmm. Kaminga has a significantly higher ceiling than Franz Wagner. I don't think Wagner has the immediate bar written all over him, but the reason why I'm going back, just want to reiterate this point. If you think that Steph Curry's on this team, he's he is the best player in any playoff series, maximize Steph Curry potential, you go and draft the best fit, most ready player to complement that, mm-hmm. not the highest upside. Totally. Picking highest upside back-to-back drafts sends the message of, we don't think we really have a shot and we want to plan for the future. So yeah, Kaminga is better than Wagner, but it's taken three years to get there. And in the meantime, you potentially shot yourself in the foot by not getting the the ready to go most NBA ready or, or best fit for your team type. And then in that Wiseman draft, I think the consensus decision in hindsight 2020, trade the number two, trade down in the draft and get Tyrese Halliburton. And apparently yeah. there was actually a trade that the Warriors turned down on draft night, which was the number two pick to the Orlando. I think they had like maybe number five plus Wendell Carter mm-hmm. Jr. But they were willing to give us number five and a WCJ for our number two. Imagine if they had done that and you'd get your yeah. center plus Halliburton. Totally. No, I mean, I think I think that might have been Chicago who had Wendell Carter Jr. at the time. Oh, I remember shoot. Those You're trades. right. It was Chicago. But they ended yep. up. They traded him to Orlando, so I understand. <laughs> understand. Uh, but yeah, like, no, that wasn't, that's not revisionist history. Like, that was absolutely an option that they could have gone to. And you're so right, Sam. Like, it's not just pick the best fit. It could have been trade the pick for a player that can fit right now. Mm-hmm. Like, that's another thing you could have done. And they chose the opposite way when they could have. <laughs> all you had to do was get out of that top three, and then no one really cares who you choose it for. 
Right. You know, like outside of the top three, it's like, oh my gosh, you didn't choose one of the big ones. After you get out of like the consensus, think of that, of like the Wiseman, Edwards, Lamelo. I mean, the Bulls shocked everyone with Patrick Williams at number four. They could have taken Tyrese. They could have taken Denny of Dia, which I know was kind of like in there. He's turned into like a really good tools, smart guy for a team. But no, they, they really blew the pooch there. I'm not sure if that's a phrase, but they really screwed the pooch, blew the pooch. Either way, they <laughs> messed up with that pick. And it is truly incredible that the Warriors won that 22 title and that they're still this good. You're right. They did not know how good that this Steph and Draymond and Clay and that whole, that, that core would be post Kevin Durant. And that's a shame because I feel like in 2019, they showed us how good they were when Kevin Durant got hurt and they beat Houston and they swept the Blazers and they would have beat Toronto if Clay didn't get hurt and they came really close to it. Yep. So that's just a shame. Bob Myers, look, like I heard those, those clips where he was like, Kevin Durant has nothing to prove. And he said, Kevin Durant was the best player on the floor. He won the finals MVP. I'm not sure if that he's trying to like say like Kevin Durant was the is greater than those two. He's just trying to say that he won those finals MVPs. Either way, disrespectful, a lack of understanding of this game. And I think they're just trying to save face with KD because of how uh, dramatic things got towards his exit. Yeah, and, and I do feel like Durant stepped up big time in the final in the stage of the finals, but Durant had to get carried in three playoff series to get there first. Mm -hmm. It was literally like Durant was, I remember there were matchups where it was like Durant was being guarded by Pat Bev, who I think was on the Rockets and and he like was just playing really bad. And he literally was not, was not a semblance of who he was. Then all of a sudden you you go up against LeBron and he's like, oh, I'm in the finals now. I might as well start trying. It's like, dude, what have you been doing for three playoff series? Like we no, needed you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Houston <clears throat> bottled KD up and they had the Warriors on the ropes and it took the Splash Brothers doing their thing to win that series. And KD, like he was playing right into their hands because all they wanted was to like switch off and ISO everything, which is what he wants to do. I mean, KD's great. He was awesome. My take on the KD finals, deserved 2017, was absolutely the best player in that final series. 2018 should have been Steph's. Steph was better that whole playoff run. He was better in three out of the four games. And even in that game three, I know we're getting very much into the weeds here in the finals. That was like six years ago. But even in that one game where KD was amazing and Steph wasn't good, that was a tight back and forth game that the Warriors didn't win until Steph came alive in the fourth quarter. So even in Steph's bad game, he helps them win. He should have he should have won the finals MVP in 2018. Yeah. Is what I think. All right. I want to get yeah. us back on topic here <laughs> a little bit. Uh somebody we haven't talked about enough today on this pod. Uh AirPods, man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know this, but right now, um, his uh, season totals at the All Star break: four hundred sixty-six points, two hundred seventy-two rebounds, one hundred and eighty-three assists, 
just the second rookie in franchise history to put up those numbers by the all-star break. Um, he's leading the NBA in charges drawn this season in front of Jalen Brunson. And then specifically on the Warriors, he has the most 10 points, five rebounds, five assist games, double doubles, mm-hmm. charges mm-hmm. drawn, obviously, because he leads the NBA, total steals, and plus minus. Yeah. Forget like being a mini Draymond. He's doing more. He's he's cracking up more stats than Draymond is. Yeah. No, I mean, it has been a revelation, right? And it's so bizarre. No one saw this coming. You could have asked Steve Kerr with truth serum before this <laughs> before the season. He'd be like, yeah, this little rookie is not touching the court. That's not how I roll. And he is just doing all of the things that they need them to do. He is playing with hustle. He's getting his hands on the ball. He's playing smart and under control. He doesn't take bad shots. He rebounds and pushes the pace. I mean, he is such a breath of fresh air out there. I mean, we'll see what happens. Yeah, doesn't turn the ball. That's amazing for a rookie, right? That's probably the most, and that's the reason he's on the court, right? Because he could be doing all of those other things, but if he was turning the ball over, it would be just like Jordan Poole, and they would bench him until he stopped doing that. Because Kerr hates that. And we have enough turnover machines where you can't have not Hall of Famers turn the ball over on this team. That's just kind of the rule the rule of thumb for the Kerr era Warriors. But he's under control. He's playing so well. And it's that verve and energy he brings that I think is so, like, it electrifies this whole team, which was playing so sluggish before. And I'm kind of wondering, like, Kerr, like, why is it so hard to get some more youth into these lineups just a little bit, just to like to run the fast break, to play with a little bit of pace? Like there's got to be a give and take there. And Pods is just showing it in spades. I think he's going to get on the all-rookie team. This is crazy. Yeah. He should be. For real. Doing this, yeah. especially if the Warriors finish where we'd like them to finish, um, you know, maintaining this kind of eight and two win pace, Uh, 100%. He's playing a huge role. He's starting. He's closing games. He's out there making winning plays in crunch time. um, And he's doing it all at a very high level without making a lot of mistakes. Uh, And it's interesting because two or three weeks ago, he was doing all of this, but he wasn't scoring. It it looked like he had lost confidence in his jump shot. You know, he's got that Mm -hmm. kind of nifty sky hook. It was like, man, he's, he's really good at getting into the paint and he tries to finish. Um, you know, the free throw hasn't looked good all season. That That's my only oh, man. You know, Those blemish two on his game. <laughs> on the Clippers um, game. Oh, but, God. but so great to see him finally be able to splash in some threes. Because, I mean, we drafted him thinking this is a shooter. This is a combo guard shooter who can do a little bit of, of this and that. Um, and he's really shown his chops doing everything else but shooting. Um, except really, you know, against that game against the Clippers when he hit five threes. So... Mm-hmm. Um, sky's the limit for this kid i think yeah all rookie team for sure and um i think he's got the motor and the desire the competitiveness the confidence all the intangibles that you need to be a truly great player uh and the iq the work ethic i i think he's he's got future star written all over him yeah and it's so cool especially i mean we just had our little like meltdown about the warriors picking two 
like high potential projects back to back in the lottery. And that's the lure, right? Like, yeah, this player is better right now, but if we take this like young teenager who has all of these physical gifts, like we can mold them into the absolute superstar. And there's this bias that players who have spent, now I sound like Fitzgerald talking about four-year college players or three-year college (laughs) players, but these players who come into the league older and have more time in college, it's as if they've already hit their ceiling. And it's like, no, why, why can't this guy get better each season? Why can't mm-hmm. he add more to his game? Just if physically, maybe he already is what he is height wise or growth wise, but the skills and everything else. And it's just very cool to see him rise to the occasion and play well. And I want to see Trace get some more minutes too. I think there needs to be some more of that as well, but you know, just the young guys showing out and playing well for the dubs. Right. Yeah. Trace Jackson Davis, man. I think, I think we're going to start seeing more of that. Like you said, um, the all-star breaks and a time to kind of press pause and, and take a moment to sit back and think and strategy game plan. Uh, Looney just has not had it much better this season. It, It honestly feels like because Looney knows that he's playing backup center, he's like been playing playoff basketball all season long, which means He's doing the little extra stuff on screens that get charged for offensive fouls on rebounds. Uh He's trying to do the sneaky push in the back to get the rebounds. And it's like, they're laser focused. It's like the refs in the off season said, all right, come on, Looney. He was way too good last year. We need to watch him on all these little things. And it's like every ref has the playbook on him because they are calling every little thing and he's doing it. Right. I'm not trying to say that they're calling stuff that isn't there, but that's what Looney is so good at in the playoffs, doing that little stuff, the physicality. Right. When you had Mason Plumlee go all crazy against AirPods, I think Looney checked in and and just kind of like shoved them back and was like, dude, I'm not going to do that. He he is kind of the um, the enforcer. Um, Yeah. And and on that, I had a quick a quick comment on that enforcer comment one thing that i've noticed since draymond has returned from suspension um the team has his back and what i mean by this is there's now been several occurrences where the draymond of earlier this season would have likely engaged technical suspension whatever um you had the incident with nurkic uh, in Draymond against the Suns, Clay Thompson steps mm-hmm. in there and slaps the ball away from Nurkic to pick up the technical foul instead of Draymond. Um, yeah. And then, and then when uh, Plumlee and in, in Pods, when when Plumlee kind of charges Pods and double swipes at him, which was just totally unnecessary. I really feel like that should have been a flagrant too. It was unnecessary and excessive. Um, mm-hmm. Kaminga comes in there and pushes Plumley like get off, get off my boy. And so it really feels yeah. like the team has said, Draymond, we love you. We we know that you have our backs. Let us do this too. We can defend each other as well. We don't need <laughs> you to be the guy to get into the middle of everything. You can't do that anymore. Um, and they're demonstrating that. And I feel like that's really important that they've kind of bought in and recognized that we need Draymond to be on the floor, and that means we need to stop and step in and not let Draymond be the one to initiate or antagonize when there's uh, when there's a scrum on the floor or a potential scrum. Yeah, absolutely. Saving Draymond for themselves. I love that they're like, Draymond, don't worry. We'll go crazy for you. 
You don't yes. need to worry about it. <laughs> I can imagine they're like doing drills, like in practice, like, all right, how are you going to lose your mind? What are you going to do? Are you going to hit it in the face? You're going to dive in? It's like, no, it's, uh, it's true. It's true. There is a collection of, they know how good he is. They're so happy to have him back. Looney had a quote being like, we weren't mad at Draymond. Like he like didn't hit any of us. Well, that's hilarious that he actually said that. But like, it's, you know, it's like, he's just doing what he does. Like we just wanted him to get right and come back. And the defense that this team has of him, and you're right, they are kind of like coming together. And Draymond's done a really good job at keeping his cool, I think, for the most part. And he has been playing really well and we talked about this before he was playing well before the suspension too Mm -hmm. he was just a bit more out of control but the basketball was good so now he's just been playing well it's been such a big difference in the team I thought the Phoenix game was so impressive because Nurkic was doing everything he could to get under his skin to rile him up to pull the LeBron and get him tossed out of the game and all of that. And Draymond kept his cool, played with an edge, and they won the game. And I wonder if part of the reason they lost to the Clippers is in the fracas and in the melee, they lost their cool a little bit. And there's that clip of Draymond going viral of him pointing up like the four rings and like shoving it in his hands. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, he buddy. was, he like, was a little, he was, Draymond was a little unhinged in that clip. Yeah. I'm like, that's, uh, I mean, that's a little much. That's a little much. And you kind of got to, it's a balance. And I, they did lose their cool, right? Because the Clippers went on a, a 10 nothing run right after yeah. that. And, so, and that's a yeah. really good point. I, I felt like the same. Like after the Plumley flagrant and the Tyron Lou ejection and the Paul George foul out, it felt like mm-hmm. the Clippers took all of that and said, okay, we're the underdogs. We're just going to go out and win this game. And we're going to find a way to be uh, the more physical team that the refs are going to reward and the warriors were like, Oh, we've been, you know, we've been leading this whole game and Mm -hmm. the Clippers have been, uh, have been bruisers and we're just going to try and squeeze this out. Um, And it didn't work. And it, and it totally swung in favor of the Clippers. It felt like they were rewarded for being more physical because they're like, well, we, we already dinged you a bunch of times and threw out your coach and, and, uh, fouled out your best players, so have at them the rest of the game. And the Warriors were like, "Yeah." Meanwhile, they couldn't get a free throw the whole game. So I, I yeah. totally agree. It felt like that they in the Phoenix game they rallied, and in the Clippers game they kind of tucked their tail and, and ran away. Like they just they just weren't willing to meet the challenge of what it was going to take to um, to be the more physical team that that was going to be needed to win that match. Totally. And I think it's like after Paul, especially after Paul George fouled out too, I think they're like, okay, we outlasted them. Like we won, we have the lead, their best players are gone, their coach is gone. And how many times have we watched the Warriors prematurely celebrate in the fourth quarter and then the team comes back and stun them? Like it's happened over and over. And they've just, I mean, it might be, it's there. That was a tough loss. I know it's only one game. But it's a it was a tough loss to stomach, and they're really lucky they held on to the Utah game the next game. I, I will say this a, though, if they had to win mm-hmm. two out of the three between between the two Utah and Clippers for the standings, you, you needed to beat Utah. That's actually so true. That's so true. That's a great way of looking at it. So, <laughs> yeah. 
but that that is real. That is real. We'll see. We'll see what they do. I got. I can I just say one last thing before we get out of here because yeah. I feel like we've done a, a really balanced job of like the Warriors. They've been looking really good. Can they solve some of these issues? What's happening next year? Can we just pour a little bit out for our boy Moses Moody, who's just not going to see the court probably for the rest of the season, especially when Chris Paul comes back. And you said it yourself. He has a plus, plus minus on the season. He plays with heart. He plays with verve. It seems like he fills a need for this team in terms of being somewhat taller of a guard who can actually shoot the ball and yet does not get any minutes and I was sad that he didn't get traded. I heard about the trade of Moody and some first to Chicago for Alex Caruso, which yeah. would have been awesome, I thought, for both parties. Only Not because I want Moody to go, but the man's not playing. So let's get him somewhere where he can play and get someone who the Warriors will play too. I just, as I, it's sad to see him not play. And I understand why Pods has jumped him in the lineup, but it's still tough to watch a rookie take his minutes. When, you know, I had just as many hopes for him as I did for Kaminga and Wiseman and all the others. So just wanted to pour one out for that guy. Yeah, it's it's um it's too bad. It's it's inexplicable, really. Um, I mean I can try and kind of justify it, which is he's not quite as good at, at any one particular thing than the players in front of him, whether that's Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, GP2, uh, even Pods, mm-hmm. but he brings a very unique skill set because he can do a lot of things that all of those guys do. He can shoot. Um, I'm most impressed with his ability to attack the basket. He has this yeah. um he has this unwavering confidence to challenge anybody at the rim. And he's not as athletic as Kaminga or Wiggins per se, but he'll challenge anybody. Um, he'll throw his body up there. He was finishing really well before he got hurt. That's, I feel like, where he really missed out. When GP2 went down, it was like, okay, it's Moses Moody time. And, totally. then, he got, and then he got hurt. He had, was at that calf injury or something like that. He missed like 10 days. And then opportunity was gone. Kenyonas, they're like, oh, man, Kenyonas is going to be our backup ball handler. Boom, go. And then it was yeah. like, sorry, sorry, Moody, no room for you. Um, but I feel like the one thing that's holding him back we said it earlier is turnovers moody Mm -hmm. still unfortunately gets himself into situations where he does a little bit too much and he turns it over and i really feel like he's not quite there yet as a poa defender um to be better than wiggins or gp2 uh he's not quite as an elite shooter as thompson um and he turns it over more than pods yeah Absolutely. No, that's such a good point. I'd love for him to find a spot in this rotation because I feel like he's such an impact player and he's got so much potential. He was supposed to be the NBA ready three and D guy that we got in the Kaminga draft. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You know, it's, there's definitely lineups on this team where he makes sense in it, but the way we play, not really, because you're right. If we want shooting, there'll be somebody else. If we want defense, there'll be somebody else. And they can't have him out as an extra shooter because of Kerr would rather have a ball handler, which has led to Les Quinones is getting his minutes. This two The two-way guy is getting his minutes over this lottery pick, which, you know, we've seen it before. And it makes sense in that context. Like you want someone to handle the ball. And it's not like Moses needs to 
be like dribbling through his legs and have like a crazy handle. But you're right. He can't be doing too much driving into traffic, turning it over or doing a shot turnover where it just kind of goes no, nowhere. He's got to be a little bit more smart. So just wanted to pour one out from a boy. I'm sure he'll figure something out. And you know what? Maybe Kerr will play him in the playoffs just like he did last year. You never know. Right. Right. And that's why I'd like for the Warriors to keep him. I mean, you've got one more year on his rookie deal um, in the spirit of Clay Thompson playing less or sitting out back to backs. There is there is a pathway for him. And then maybe Chris Paul coming back. You've got a little bit more uh, veteran um, veteran presence and, and kind of floor general on the floor. Um, yeah, and then I think I think Quinones, regardless, I think Quinones is totally out of the rotation when when CP3 comes back as well. Definitely, so I do and think he's been Booty, playing well too. Yeah, well, he was, and then he did kind of fall. He got a little too cute in the last few games, and that's where I feel like yeah. they're like, all right, Pods, we're just going to give you his minutes. Um, yeah, for sure. But yeah, I mean, I just love I love Moody. I love everything he does, and I hope that they can find a way to at least get him like some some run consistently it doesn't have to be 15 minutes um but he deserves to get you know four or five minute stretches and like you just said who knows in the playoffs kurt you know warriors have got nothing going on you throw out there moses moody in in the second quarter and he's a bucket he can go out and score eight points in five minutes um and hustle and, and hustle rebound make the right play um he's not a high usage guy he can he can do it off the ball the ultimate professional they all say great things about him so I, you know, it would be great for him to get in a spot where he's get where he's getting consistent run. But I also hope that he can stay with the Warriors and maybe, maybe year four, <laughs> maybe break out. That's true. Yeah, I mean, I think if there's one wish list for the Warriors, especially as they're going through an easier schedule at the end of the year, stop playing the vets so many minutes. Give these old guys some rest lean a little bit more on your young guys so they're also prepared. There's no reason why Moody shouldn't be able to get some time when Clay's sitting out back-to-backs, when there is, you know, as his minutes take a dive, when Steph is maybe, you know, God forbid, taking a day off to rest himself because he's, so, you know, because he deserves that at some point if he wants to be fresh for the playoffs. Like, let's see these young guys play. They've shown a lot, actually. They've shown a lot. So, I hope I hope they get some run. So um, closing thoughts here. Um, we've played fifty three games. What are you thinking for the remaining the remaining games? Well, in terms of record, in terms of just how they're going to go. Yeah, record. You know, they played fifty three games. I'm not sure what their record is going to be. I know it's going to be an easy schedule. They have not shown themselves to do that well against any team, easy or hard teams, because their problems are a lot of them are internal. I don't think they're going to be able to get out of the plan. Now, I hope they can get up to the seven or the eight and then make a run out of that. But I think there's been a little, there's not enough time, especially with all the teams being so consistent above them too, to push all the way up to six like they did last year but they should be able to put together enough run to be firmly within the seven, eight play in. And honestly, as we saw last year, that's all you need. All you need is a shot. And this team could take it. I like that. 
pragmatic approach. I'm a little bit more optimistic, as you know. (laughs) So I got Warriors only a game and a half behind the Lakers and five games behind the fifth and sixth seed Suns and Pelicans. I think if the Warriors keep playing eight and two basketball and correct some of the things that we just talked about here, most notably not choking in the fourth, um, I could see that. I could see them. I could see them squeezing out of the plan. Pelicans and Suns. Um, even if you look at Dallas and, and Kyrie, like, I just feel like the teams above them, you know, they, they could get an injury, um, especially Pelicans and Suns. Sure. Both of those teams are very injury prone. Feels like warriors are trending in the right direction. Feels like other teams are going to have slightly more difficult schedules. And, um, and I think, I really think that if they can put those, you know, two fourth quarters behind them and just play, good basketball for solid 48 minutes. Curry keeps doing what Curry does. Um, Mm -hmm. Young guys keep stepping up. Clay embracing his role off the bench. I don't see why um, they can't go, you know, I don't know. We're saying there's 29 games left. Um, I don't know. 20 20 and 9? Maybe better than that? 20 and 9, 19 and 10? That would be, I mean, that would be amazing. They are playing so much better. And you're right, those teams above them, like, they could be temperamental. You could say the same about the Warriors, though, right? Like, Steph hasn't had a bad injury yet this year. Like, Clay, same thing, some of those other guys. So, uh, crossing fingers for all the injury luck, but they could absolutely tear it off. I will say, Sam, it feels like for the past two years, this has essentially been our talking points. You've been like, man, the Warriors would be really good if they could stop losing these games. <laughs> it's like, as long as they like figure out how to not lose these games, they're going to be so good. And I agree, like <laughs> they will be. Uh, and we'll see. I think they've they've found something that looks so much better than it had been for the past maybe two years. Like even all of last season, I'm not sure if they had a stretch that was as inspiring and comforting as this last post um time off pre all-star break eight and two run where they were playing really good high quality basketball and finding different things for different people so who knows all could go only up from here 100 percent. well thank you Corey. as always love to have you on the show Obviously, a lot of different topics we discussed today. Um, felt like this was uh, one of our more diverse pods, getting into a whole bunch of stuff, old, new, past, present. Um, absolutely, absolutely. It's the it's the whole Warriors multiverse. We're figuring out every possible way they can go. <laughs> well, cheers, man. Appreciate it again. And let's go, Dubs. Taking on the cool. Lakers. That's going to be uh, quite the interesting matchup to start off this uh this post all-star break we need some revenge let's get this second half started or this last third started with a bang let's get this win let's reel it off i need to see these boys back in the playoffs so let's make it happen all right man take care awesome you have a good one bud go dubs And once again, this has been a We Believe Golden State Warriors basketball podcast. If you haven't already, please give me a follow over at Twitter. That's at SD Orlick. Subscribe, rate, and review the show. Thanks for tuning in, guys, and we'll catch you on the next one.